good to be saved. Yes. Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad because I was hoping someone in the house could be a witness to that. It is good to be saved. And I, I, I just hope that someone out there on Facebook Live can also be a witness and also give a shout out because you know for yourself it is good to be saved. Amen. Back in the day, Gladys Knight sung a song to her man. And in the song, she said this. She said, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, that might be Gladys Knight's story, but let me tell you my story. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. I believe I got at least seven witnesses between the church house and Facebook that can nobody do you like Jesus can do you. Now a man or a woman can take you to the altar, but only Jesus can take you to heaven. Jesus can take you all the way. <laughs> I'm talking about not, not just part the way, but Jesus can take you all the way into heaven. And see, I don't know about you, I'm going to stick with Jesus. Amen. Let me say that again. I'm going to stick with Jesus. And what I have, you too, brother, what I have discovered, what I have discovered is when we stick with Jesus, we discover or rediscover that not only are there benefits and blessings in the afterlife, but there are benefits and blessings in this life. Amen. Can you hear me? I said in this life. And one, one of the benefits, one of the blessings that God blesses us with in this life, watch this, is God changes our address. Even down here. We know he changes our address up there to Heavenly Boulevard, but I'm telling you, God changes our address down here. Yeah. Let me tell you, God moves us from within ourselves into a shelter Amen. down here. Let me say it again. Don't miss that. It's important. God changes our address down here. God moves us from in ourself to in a shelter. You know that Psalm, Psalm 46, 1, that says the Lord is our refuge yeah. and our strength? Well, that word refuge means a shelter. That's what refuge means. It means a safe place. A refuge is a, is a stronghold. Uh, a safe place. Amen. And God, God is our, our shelter. God is our, our stronghold. God is our safe place. And God has moved us from ourselves into a shelter, Amen. into a safe place. And because we live inside a shelter, that gives all the ammunition we need for us to be able to say, New Hope. There's no weapon formed yes. against us. Yes. Listen to me. There's no weapon that can be formed against us that can prosper. Now, I'm just not uh, 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 flapping my lips. This is not just my imagination, as the Temptations used to say. This is biblical truth. It is based on the text that we have today, that there is no weapon formed against the covenant people of God that can destroy us, that, that, that can, can then take us out of what God has designed for us to be. Take a look, amen, that is thank you material. Take a look at the biblical text because 
God begins dealing with the children of God through Pastor Moses by reminding them of their distinction, reminding them that they are distinct people of the living God. In other words, God lets them know that God makes a distinction between God-haters and God-lovers. He makes a distinction. Note the distinction he makes, again, between God-haters and God-lovers. Verse 3, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly. God is making a distinction of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. You say, what? You said, I thought God was a God of love. God is a God of love. But God makes a distinction always between God-haters and God-lovers. And see, the awesome thing about this, see, do you know the history of the Moabites and the Ammonites? Well, in Genesis 19, Lot, the nephew of Abraham, you remember Abraham, he had a nephew named Lot. Well, he, he escaped along with his wife and two daughters from the fiery... Uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But his wife and him, they all of them were told not to look back. Don't look back. His wife looked back. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. You know the story in Genesis. Left Lot with his two daughters. Lot and his two daughters, and Lot was kind of uh, finicky about where they should go, but they eventually wound up in the mountains. Just Lot and his, and his two daughters. Lot's oldest daughter came up with a, with a plan. It was a wicked plan, but it was her plan. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 19. She told the younger sister, let's, let's get our father drunk. Let us go into him and have sexual relationships with him so that we can maintain our father's lineage. Because everybody else is destroyed. There is no man around us that we can have offspring by, so we got to continue our father's lineage, so let's go into our father getting drunk and let's continue his lineage. They did that. And the oldest daughter had a son. She got pregnant, and then, well, well let me finish the story. She got pregnant, then she told the, her sister, the younger daughter, okay, I went into our father, got him drunk, I went into him this night, tomorrow night you go in to our father. And, she, and the younger sister obeyed the older sister. Both got pregnant. The oldest daughter had a son that was called Moab. The youngest daughter had a son called Ben-Ami, which became the progenitor of the Ammonite people. Now here's the thing. They are distant relatives of the Israelites through Lot and Abraham. Sinful, incestual situation, but they are distant relatives of the Israelites. Note what God says to them. God says no Moabite or Ammonite, you know the history of them now, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Interesting, interesting situation. God makes a distinction, not because of, of, of the ancestral situation, not because of that,
but because they reveal who they are by what they do. That's a very important point. Matter of fact, it's the first point on your outline. I want to lift that up because I don't want you to miss this because it's so important. And I think the church, we as Christians, miss this so many times because we kind of have this fantasy perspective on God being a God of love. He is a God of love, but God is a God of faith. And, and what I want to lift up is the wicked will demonstrate who they are by what they do or don't do. The Moabites and Ammonites laid their heart out on display when they did not. Notice what the text says. Notice what it says. No Ammonite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. That's God's assembly. I'm not just talking about the congregation of Israel. I'm talking about the assembly of the Lord. Let me, let me, let me make a distinction here since, since, since I'm teaching. There's a distinction between a congregation and God's assembly. He said, he didn't say none of them will enter the congregation. He said none of them will enter, enter the assembly of the Lord. Let me put it another way. Let me update it and give you an application. There's a difference between the visible church on a corner and the invisible church that only God knows of. In other words, in the visible church, the Bible makes it clear. You have both saved and unsaved. You have both weak and you have tears. That's why in the book of Matthew, when God sits on a judgment seat, God says he will separate the sheep from the goats. Okay? And he knows the difference. That's why, you know, in other words, in other words, everyone that says, Lord, Lord, isn't going to enter into the kingdom of God. That, 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 that's the word of God, right? And the Bible makes it clear that we will know them. This is how the Bible says we will know them. We will know them by their fruits. Not just what they say, but how they live. What they do. How they conduct their lives. You will find that. I got that listed on your outline. We will know them by their fruits. That's found in the book of Matthew, 7th chapter, verse 16. Listen to, look at their fruits. This is how we know who they are. No Moabite or Ammonite shall enter into the assembly of God, and none of their descendants too will enter in the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. Remember last week's message? We are our brother's keeper. Remember I was teaching last week that we all are part of the caretaking ministry of the church. God has called us to, to look out for one another. God has called us to be concerned about one another. The people of God are people of love, people who care, people who serve, people who take care of one another. Their own distant relatives was in need. They knew they were in need, and they did not come out, the Bible says, to meet them at the point of their need with bread and water. They put their heart out in terms of who they really are. See, you can fool people. You can fool pastor. I mean, it's not a real difficult thing to fool me. I mean, you can fool a whole bunch of people, but no one can fool God. God, how many of you know God got x-ray vision? And because someone comes to church don't necessarily mean that their, their heart's been changed. That's why you have wheat and tares. 
If you follow me, would you say amen? amen? Here's another indication that the Moabites and Ammonites, they're not God's weak. They're the devil's tears. Watch this. That's one, one reason why they will not enter into the assembly of God, my assembly. Not just the congregation, my assembly. That's, that's, that's a, a covenant group. Today we would call it a blood wash group. Not just people who come to church, but people who washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Okay? It's how we would say it today. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. Here's another indicator of their true heart. Not only did they not, not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, here's the second reason why they will never be in, the in God's assembly. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Peor, from Pether of Mesopotamia, or Aram Naharim, that's the same region, they, they hired this mysticist, to curse you. Blood washed people don't do that. You will know them by their fruits. They put their unregenerate heart, I mean, they put their, their evil heart on display, and God says, you know, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you what you want. You will never be in my assembly to the 10th generation forever. Your heart is on display. How many of you know God? See, we look at the outward part. We look at cuteness. We say, oh, isn't she pretty? Don't she, don't she got pretty hair? I mean, be real. I mean, be honest. We do. I mean, we, we, you know, you try to ask someone from an uh, intellectual point of view. They say, oh, you know what I mean? I like them because... I like their conversation. That's good. I like their intellect. That's good. But you know what? We like something about how they look, too. If you get real. We like something about something physical. That's right. You know, in addition to them talking well and giving a nice conversation and all of that. You know, that's all good. You know what I mean? But you you looking at other things too. Can I get real? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. This is not indicative of a covenant person of God. They hired Balaam. Anybody familiar with Balaam? Balaam is a hireling prophet. He has, he has some mystical arts and gifts. But he's for hire. He uses his gifts to uh, get money, and apparently in that day, Balaam used his, his, his divination, his mysticism to curse people, and on some level, according to the text, you will read about him in Numbers 22 through 24, and on some level, he was able to use mystical arts to bless people, according to Balak, the king of, of, of Moab. That's why they hired him. He had a reputation for being able to use his mystical gifts to um, curse or bless people. Interestingly, when you read about him, he has some kind of relationship with the Lord because when they come to hire him, 
The king of Moab sends three people to come to hire him to come and curse Israel because he was scared of Israel. And, and Balaam prays and he asks God, should I go with him? He has some kind of relationship. He's an interesting character. Read about him in, in Numbers 22 through 24. He's interesting. He prays to God and God says, go with the men, but say only what I tell you to say and do only what I tell you to do. He was hired to curse him, but I want you to take a look at the awesomeness of God because they belong to the covenant people of God. He was hired to curse, but God made them bless them instead of cursing them. Don't tell me our God ain't somebody special and that he don't love his people. He turned a curse Into, into a blessing. I just, want, I, I just want you to know today that, you know what I mean? Bloodwashed people don't, don't do those kind of things. We don't curse God's people. If you are trying to hurt and curse God's people, something's wrong with you. That's not the characteristic of, of, of God's people. To, to, to want to hurt, to want to curse, to want to do harm to the people of God. Matter of fact, I teach, be careful how you treat God's people. Amen. I'm serious. Because throughout the Bible, God himself identifies with his people. You don't want to, you don't want to try to hurt a child of God. You can be setting yourself up for, for serious trouble in your life because God has always identified with his people so much so. Remember when he knocked Paul off his high horse in Acts chapter 9? Notice what the first thing God says to him. He says, Saul, Saul, calls his name first. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus said. Well, Paul was persecuting the church. He was, he was delivering up members of the church to be put to death, to be killed, to be put in prison. But God says, why are you persecuting me? God always, be, be careful how you treat another child of God. I'm just teaching you because I'm sent to teach you. Be careful how you treat a child of the living God because God identifies with his people. You remember when he divided up the sheets and the goats that I referenced in Matthew, in the book, the Gospel of Matthew? He said that I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was sick. You didn't come see about me. I was in prison and you didn't come to visit me. They were shocked. They said, when did we see you in prison, Jesus? And didn't come to see you hungry. He said, when you didn't do it to the least of them, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. So I always teach people we can do no more for God than what we do for each other. Amen. When they did not treat their relatives with kindness, they put their evil heart on display. When they tried to curse the people of God, they put their evil heart on display. And if that's what God, God is saying, if that's what you're looking for, I'll give you what you're looking for. You won't be a part of my assembly. I know the heart. You might look good. You might have a chariot. 
You might have a cape. You might wear gold around your neck. But you, 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 you don't belong to me. Because I look at the heart. You remember that? God looks at the heart. So, so, remember, a bad tree bears bad fruit. If you're around people that you always seem to leave them with a sour taste in your mouth, you probably don't need to be hanging with them. There, there, there's, there's something, there, there's some issue there. If a tree is bearing rotten apples, all the apples on the tree are rotten. Then, baby, it's not the apples or the branches. Something's wrong with that tree. So here's how you know. The wicked will demonstrate who they are by what they do or don't do. I tell sometimes churches looking for pastors, I tell them, don't just go by how the pastor preach. That's one criteria, but don't just go by that. Check out on some level how they live. Amen? Amen? Because I believe for at least 30 seconds, the devil can preach. Not much longer than 30 seconds, though, because he's a liar. And he's a deceiver. But you've got to go deeper than how somebody sounds. You got to check out how somebody lives. Because the Bible says the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. Are, are you with me? But notice, notice, notice something here, though, that is absolutely awesome to me. I'm just going to give it to you straight with no chaser. Satan is a barking dog on God's leash. I want you, with your Bibles open, to take a look at verses 4 and 5a. You got verse 4? Amen. If you do, would you say amen? amen? They can't be a part of my assembly. They didn't come to help you when you needed help. They didn't come with food and water. Um, and because they did not meet you with bread and water, and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor to curse you, but watch this, nevertheless, your Lord, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing for you. God, God is wanting us to see from an Old Testament text that God is in control of what Satan tries to do. That's why I want to encourage you, don't worry when people come against you if you're a blood-washed child of God. Because God, I don't care what they do to come against you, Satan is like a barking dog on God's leash. The, 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 what I want you to understand is God has him on a leash, which means God is in control. God can put slack in the leash to allow him to go a little further and deal with you, or God can tighten up the leash and pull him back at his desire because it's God's leash. He's in control of the leash. Sometimes God uses Satan like he did Job in our lives to teach us some things. He, he puts slack in the leash and allows him to come and have more distance in our lives, but whenever he chooses, he pulls back on the leash because God's in control. You got to understand that. Satan, the barking dog, is limited, in other words, in what he can do to the church or to a child of God. 
Do you remember when God asked Satan in Job chapter 1? God asked him, have you considered my servant Job? Point blank like that. You remember what Satan said to him? He said, you got a hedge around him. You remember? Yeah. He said, I mean, it's not that I wouldn't do it if I could, but you, you know, you got a hedge all around him. You got a hedge around his family. You got a hedge around his business. You got a hedge around his property. You got a hedge around him. God never denies it. But that's, that's very instructive, though, isn't it? Think about it. Think about it. Job was God's servant, right? God didn't deny it. Satan said, in effect, Satan says, take your hand off it and remove the hedge, and he'll curse you to his face. That's when God says, okay. But what I want you to understand, it was true. God had him in a shelter. <laughs> God had a hedge around him and his family, his children, all of them. Let me pause and say, hey, God, good. Let me pause and say, it's good to be saved. <laughs> I just want I just can't help from saying, it's good, Sarah, to be saved. Amen. Now, if you remove the hedge and I and let me and, and allow me to to touch him, he'll curse you to your face. Well, you know the story about that. But I, the point I'm making is that the enemy is limited. He only can do what God allows him to do. Sometimes God opens the shelter door and allows him to do some things to strengthen us, to teach us endurance, to teach us how to overcome, and things of that nature. Although Satan will use people to come against uh, the church, they cannot do what God doesn't allow. Get this, get this. Satan took the teeth out of Satan's bite. He's a barking dog, but he's gumming it. Because at the cross, Jesus took the teeth out of his bite. So if you can just handle the barking, he's going to make a lot of noise. Ah, 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 but he's gumming it. The teeth was taken out at the cross. Remember? 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Oh, death, the, the biggest thing he comes to do is to kill. But the Bible says, oh, death, where is that sting? When you're in Christ, there's no sting even to death. Oh, grave, where is that victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God for the victory Amen. that we have through Jesus Christ. He's coming in. His bark is much worse than his bite. If you can remember that, God will bless you for it. One last point, one last point. I want you to join me again in verse 4, particularly the latter part of verse 4. We're going to read through verse 5. I'm going to unpack my last point, and then we'll go home. If you got verse 4 queued up, would you say amen? Amen. I want you to see I'm coming from the text. Let's bond with the text. We got the bond with the text. Okay, they, they, they. The Ammonites, the Moabites, they kind of put their real heart out there when they didn't meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And remember, this corresponds with the book of, Job, with the book of James because remember James said faith without corresponding works is what? Dead faith. A dead faith is not a saving faith. In other words, if you're truly saved, you're truly born again, there'll be some evidence. They show no evidence of being in covenant with God. They tried to curse God's people. That's not what truly 
covenant people of God do. We want to bless people. We, we don't wake up trying to curse God's people. They put their heart out there by what they do. That's why I say, don't just listen to how somebody talk. Watch how they live. Amen. If, you, if you can feel what I'm saying, would you say amen? amen. Okay, verse 4. They did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Baal and the son of Beor to curse you, saved people don't do that to other saved people. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. God is an awesome God. Again, I'm glad that I'm saved. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God, listen, look to this power, turn the curse into a blessing. I want you to think about that for, uh, for you. The reason why he did it is because the Lord your God loves you. Last point, last point I want to unpack. God's power, now, now, now you got to be prepared for this one. Let me just tell you, you do. God's power should be praised and God's love should be celebrated. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Let, let, me, let me make sure you hear that. Matter of fact, I should have prefaced this by asking you before I close out, did you bring your party shoes? Did you, did you bring your dancing shoes? Because I want to demonstrate from the scripture that God's power should be praised and God's love should be celebrated. That means that we ought to be doing some partying a whole bunch of times because surely God got some power to be able to turn somebody. Let me tell you something. Somebody, there's somebody who don't like you. I hate to bust your bubble. I, I'm not trying to make you mad, but everybody's not in love with you. If there's some unsaved pagan people out there, if they had a chance, when you turn your back, if they had a chance, they would put the knife in. The moment they had a chance because they don't like you, they might not like you because of who you belong to. And I've got more news for you. They might not like you because of how you look. Uh, work with that. They, 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 they might not like you because of how you look. I'm, 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 I'm very serious. Many, 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 many years ago, I used to work in a steel mill, right? I wasn't saved, so don't judge me. I wasn't saved, and me and some of my steel mill buddies that I used to work in, I'm young buck in my early 20s, we went to this after I joined in Homewood, right? And this guy that I went with, oh, I, was, I was with a couple guys I used to work in the mill with. Well, when we went in, into the joint, the guy at the door was like sizing up my, 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 my buddy. The guy was, I mean, he was looking at me like he had a problem with him. And the guy that I was with, he was a big muscle-bound guy. He was, ready to, he was ready to do some damage. And I said, come on, man. I, I said, I said, come on, let's go. I said, I don't pay that no more. He said, man, he's like looking at me, sizing me up. He said, I didn't even say anything to him. I didn't do anything. He said, I guess he don't like the way I look. And I never forgot that. You don't always have to say anything. You don't always have to do anything. Some people just don't like the way you look. Oh, y'all, you, can, can you feel me? I said, man, come on, man. Come on, man, let's go, go, go inside of here. But see... I'm so glad when people try to come against you, and there will be people who try to do that. I'm not talking about God's people, and even some people in the church. 
But remember now, because they come to church, don't necessarily mean they're blood washed now. But God, I, I, I appreciate the fact that because we do belong to God, those who are in covenant with God, those who are saved, and you know that you are. You know that you got your trust in Jesus. You know that you put your faith in the Lord. You know you believe Jesus is master. You know you believe he's owner. You know you believe he's uh, uh, controller and possessor. And you know God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's the criteria. I want to tell you, don't get upset when people plot against you. Don't even get mad when people talk about you. That's a good time for you to put on some party shoes. That's a good time for you to get excited and thank God because the Bible teaches God is able to handle the person that tries to come against you. God is so able when they try to do you in, God can turn it and transform it into a blessing. When they try to take you out, God lifts you up. When they try to put you down, God builds you up. Don't get mad, get glad because you know God is on your side. You're on a winning team when you got Jesus. You're on a winning team when you got Jesus. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. When you recognize that God can turn a curse into a blessing, I tell you what, it's time to clap your hands and shout for the goodness of Jesus. I said for the goodness of Jesus, and that's Bible. Because if you look at Psalm 47.1, it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout for joy with the voice of triumph. So if you clap your hands and shout, I'm here to tell you, you're right in the word. Check it out. Psalm chapter 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout for joy. With the voice of trial. Because we got the victory, right? Amen. Not the enemy, we got the victory. God has the power to turn what people mean for evil against you into a blessing for you. If you don't believe me, ask Brother Joseph. Come on in there, Joseph. I know you've been waiting at the door for a long time because you heard this message. Come on and help us, Joseph. Well, I was a young 17-year-old kid and God witnessed himself to me and told me that one day my brother was going to bow down to me and I just couldn't keep the good news to myself. Sometimes God's news is so good in your life you can't keep it to yourself. Sometimes God lets you in on his goodness and you try to keep it, you try to hold it, but you can't keep it to yourself. So I told my brothers what God had, and they didn't like me for what I told them. Matter of fact, they hated on me. Matter of fact, they couldn't say or do anything good about me. So one day my daddy Jacob sent me down to take some food to my brothers who was out on a cultivating farming mission. I went to take them some food and they said, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill this dreamer and let's see what his dreams will be about then. So my my own brothers, my own flesh and blood bound me and threw me and put me in a pit with no water in it. But God knew that he was not a pit person. And when God 
God knows that you're not a pit person. There's no pit big enough that can hold you. There's no dirt strong enough that can keep you. God didn't save you to be a pit person. God saved you to be an elevated person. God did not save you to be down. God saved you to be up. So God lifted me up out of the pit. And I'm here to tell you, every now and then, life will put you into some figurative pits. It's not a physical pit. It's not down in the earth. But sometimes life will come against you and put you in a spiritual pit, emotional pit, mental pit, life circumstance pit. But you just hold on, old soldier, because God is able to elevate you and lift you up out of the pit. God took me out of the pit, and then they sold me into to some Midianite merchantmen, sold me into slavery in northern Africa, sold me as a servant in Potiphar's house. I guess life had to be hard when you got this dream from God that he going to bless you, but you a slave. How is God blessing me and I'm a slave, but I like Joseph because he kept doing his work in the old house. When things ain't going your way, keep doing your work in the old house. When devil comes against you, keep doing your work. And he kept doing his job. He kept doing his work. And even one day, Mrs. Potiphar saw how handsome he was, saw how diligent he worked, saw how he minded his own business. She tried to give him some play. But Joseph was too wise in the Lord to fall for that kind of trap. He even went. Sometimes you got to run. I'm just telling you, brother, sometimes you got sisters, sometimes you got to run. Sometimes you just got to vacate the premises. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But God is a good God because Joseph winds up in prison on a charge he didn't commit. Sometimes life gets hard. I know you think that God should always do this, God should always do that, but sometimes life will get hard. It don't mean God ain't good. It means God is getting ready to show you something about himself that's going to take you even higher. He spent several years in prison as a convicted felon for a crime he never committed. Because Miss Potiphar didn't like the fact that he rejected her, and she made up a lie and said that he tried to rape her. Yes, he, did. he spent several years in prison as a convicted fool. But I'm so glad that God was on his side. God never stopped being on his side. God took him from prison, took him and changed his outlook, changed his disposition. I heard that you can tell dreams and we got a king of Pharaoh who needs to hear your gift. I heard that God has given you some ability that the king can use. He, yeah, Joseph goes into the king. God gives him a word. God gives him a message and he tells the king what the plan should be. He said, get you a certain person who can orchestrate it. The king said, wait a minute, I don't know anybody who can orchestrate better than what you just told me about. I'm going to make you the prime minister. You'll be second only to me. The point of it is, is his own brothers who tried to diss him. His own brother who tried to hurt him had to come to him. When there was a famine in the land, 
they needed food, they had to come to Joseph to get some food. And that was Joseph's perfect opportunity to eventually reveal himself to them. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said many years ago, when I was a teenager, you knew you hated on me and you tried to hurt me. He said, but you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good that he would save many people as it is this day. So I just want you to know when people try to hurt you, when people try to diss you, God is able to turn that curse into a blessing because God is just good like that. How many of you know God is just good like that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Glory to the living God. I want to call by saying when I was in elementary school, not the Manchester that you see down on Manhattan Street now, I went to the old Manchester from kindergarten to fourth grade. And back then, some of you, uh, like me, some of you back in the day, I ain't going to call you old heads. I call myself, I'm an old head. I ain't going to call y'all that. I'm an old head. I remember back in the day, they used to have certain buildings back then that were strong structures with basements. And they, came, they became what was called back then fallout shelters. Anybody remember fallout shelters? They would have a sticker on them with a symbol saying, this is a fallout shelter. I know you young folks, you probably don't know what a fallout shelter is. But back then, a fallout shelter was in case America was attacked with an atomic or nuclear attack. There were certain buildings that were called fallout shelters that you could go into the basement of those buildings and it would protect you from radio, radiation and radioactivity from atomic bombs. Back in the day, somebody remembers those fallout shelters. Well, baby, I want to tell you something. When Satan comes in like a flood, and when problems fall out in your life, and when disappointments fall out in your life, when disaster falls out in your life, when sickness falls out in your life, I'm here to tell you, baby, you got a fallout shelter, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, there's a sticker on him. It's called the cross. And in Jesus, there's a habitation in him that says he inhabits the praises of his people. Jesus is your, is your fallout shelter. The Lord our God is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. I want to close by saying God is a good God and no weapon that's formed against you can prosper because of the goodness of your covenant God. Hold on to it. Have him. Trust him. Lean on him. Stretch out on him. Because he's the God of our salvation. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I didn't even know I was going to do all of this. But I ain't apologizing. Because God is a good God. I didn't know I was going to get happy, but it's all right. Did you join me on your feet? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah! Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, God is good. Amen. All the time. Daddy, it's good to be saved. Yes, it 